This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. So as promised, with us just being a handful of days away from the beginning of Lent, I thought that I should provide for you, as I said I would, some tips on how to prepare for Lent. And as I was putting this together, I realize that there's plenty of material from the types of sources I usually like to use for this, typically traditional priests or traditionally minded priests, things written from before the council when things were much clearer. So mostly I'm going to give to you today some thoughts given by some anonymous priests from the 19th century on how to prepare for Lent. But I'm going to start this with just some guidance on what the church used to require for Lent. And the reason I'm going to give that to you is because it will then segue into really a discussion about what the spirit of Lent is. And when you hear it, you're going to find that what most of us do, have done in the past, of, oh, I'm going to give up chocolate, the stereotypical thing to do for Lent, doesn't jive with the spirit of Lent. It just doesn't. So we need to, you know, up our game, especially in these days. I'll let the, those priests do the talking here, but just to get out of the way, let's talk about what the hardest version of Lent is, and that's the practice of the Byzantine Rite Catholics. So last Sunday was Meat Fair Sunday, what they call Meat Fair Sunday, and starting last Monday, Byzantines, according to their tradition, if they were strict adherents to it, began abstinence from meat, including fish, and it would go all the way through Lent. Yeah, they started this before Lent. So today is Quinquagesima Sunday. Yes, I know I butchered it. Also known in the Byzantine Rite as Cheese Fair Sunday. And tomorrow is Pure Monday. That begins abstinence from dairy and eggs, as well as abstinence from olive oil and, yes, alcohol. That week they have what's called Xerophagy, which is No Food Monday and Tuesday, and a meal on Wednesday after their pre-sanctified liturgy. That's followed by No Food on Thursday. One meal after what is called pre-sanctified on Friday. No fasting on Saturday and Sunday, and olive oil and alcohol are back on the menu. The first week of Lent, they'll have one meal a day with no animal products, olive oil or alcohol. All that's gone. Saturday and Sunday follows with just the animal product abstinence. And then with Holy Week, xerophagy is repeated with no food on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. Now, truthfully, most Byzantine Catholics don't keep that fast with that rigor, and neither do most Eastern Orthodox, apart from the monks. And look, I'm not going to try to keep that fasting schedule either. I just remind you that this is maybe something to aspire to, because we Latins especially have been very lax with Lent. Again, giving up chocolate or something. So let's reflect on that as we talk about what is the spirit of Lent, when we talk about what are we going to do to at least inconvenience ourselves some for Lent and offer up those inconveniences and sufferings that come with them in penance for our sins and for the sins of the clergy. So without further ado, Preparing for Lent by the Priests of the Congregation of St. Paul, given in 1893. Which of us, dear brethren, has such perfect spiritual health that he does not need to call upon Christ, our all-merciful healer? We are all crippled, blind, and sick. The great remedy by which we must be healed is faith. We see how the blind man in today's gospel was made whole by faith. In another place we read of the woman with an issue of blood, made well by faith. In many other parts of scripture, faith is put down as our great remedy. Thank God we have received the great blessing of the Catholic faith. 
But is our faith what it ought to be? Is it a living faith? If we have a living faith, it will show itself by our deeds. Let us examine ourselves today as to our intentions for the coming Lent. How much practical faith shall we find in ourselves? Faith without good works is dead. How can we expect that such faith will make us whole? Are you dreading the approach of the season of penance? Are you calculating the easiest terms upon which you can get through it? Do you look upon it as an evil time which must be born with, but out of which you expect to get nothing but discomfort? If you look upon Lent in this spirit, you are no true follower of Christ and the cross. Your faith is not a living faith, and a dead faith is worse than useless, for such a faith can abide only in the lukewarm, of whom the Holy Ghost speaks thus, Would thou wert cold or hot, but because thou art lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will begin to vomit thee out of my mouth. Beware lest your present lack of the Christian spirit of penance be the beginning of your casting forth. But do not misunderstand and think that we must relish this coming season of penance in our lower natures, just as a hungry man relishes his dinner. That is not the kind of relish we are bound to have. Although we may have an involuntary horror of penance, if we nevertheless appreciate our need of mortification and are determined to make the most of this opportunity, all the more because we instinctively dread it, we show that God has at least a large part of our hearts. He wants the whole of them, saying, My son, give me thy heart. But if we keep a part of our miserable selves in his mercy, though grieved, he will not condemn us. But if any one has not at least a determination to try, he may well tremble at his condition. If he thinks he can safely put off his repentance to his deathbed, he deceives himself. The odds against such a man being saved are tremendous. Does it not stand to reason that an ordinary man who has spent his life in sin cannot, unless by a miracle of grace, accomplish in a short hour, or perhaps less time, what has taken good men a lifetime to do? The dying sinner may persuade the priest that he has repented, but it is not because he has deceived himself in his fear of death. If we could test his repentance by offering him ten years more of life, would he persevere in his good intentions? If he has not resolved not to sin any more for the sole reason that he has no chance left him for doing so, his repentance is a sham, and all the absolutions of the priest that have ever lived cannot save his soul. As a man lives, so shall he die. Is it not easier to repent now while you are able than upon your deathbed when affliction and sin have almost robbed you of reason? Have a living faith, which will show itself by deeds, and let the prayer of the blind man be the prayer of each of us. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And let us not cease until Jesus answers us. Thy faith has made thee whole. If the spirit of Lent is about uniting our sufferings to Christ in penance for our sins, then what the church has always taught is, of course, true. The core of this is fasting. I mean, after all, we all love food to some degree. It's easy to be have a disordered relationship with it. And so fasting helps us to break that, but also to suffer in a real way, voluntarily, for the, you know, expiation of our own sins and the sins of others. And so the same priests gave another sermon, another short sermon like the previous one. And here it is. It's called, How to Fast in the Heart. The Spirit of God, which inspired every word he uttered and guided for every act he performed, led our divine Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to enter upon his forty days fast in the desert. And the spirit of the Catholic faith and devotion, which is also the Spirit of God, directs us to imitate, as far as we may, the action and the example of our Lord and Master during the holy season now before us. The imitation of Christ is the one essential aim of Christian life. And if we seek not to follow in the path he trod, our Christianity is a delusion and a lie. 
Today, in particular, we are called upon to give proof of the faith that's in us by a closer correspondence to the life of self-denial and mortification, the divine Redeemer led. And unless we give heed to this call, our claim to be his disciples were but a mockery indeed. We must take up the cross. And his holy church now determines for us what its weight shall be. Fasting and abstinence, prayer and penance are commanded. We are bound to obey. And if we have the spirit of Catholic faith, our obedience shall be cheerfully given. Do we not owe a debt of love to the Son of God who sacrificed himself for us? And how can we repay it unless we make sacrifices for his sake? The spirit, then, which we should enter upon our Lenten duties is that of generous self-sacrifice for the love of God, not a craven spirit of fear at the thought of bodily discomfort and mortification. The most austere life is sweet and easy, when inspired by the love of God, and the most difficult acts of self-denial are cheerfully performed when prompted by the desire to imitate the sufferings of Christ. The saints kept ceaseless fast and vigil, and we were happy withal. The martyrs, in the midst of their terrible torments, gave a peace that surpasses all understanding, and if generous Christian motives actuate us, our fasts and our abstinences, while they chasten the body, shall soothe the soul. For as love casteth out fear, peace banishes the thought of pain. Do we not, moreover, owe a debt of penance for our sins? And how shall we redeem it, save by suffering? It were difficult to explain the exact relation between sin and suffering, but certain it is the relation exists between them. The reason of mankind has always recognized this relation, and the cross of Jesus Christ is an eternal demonstration of it. It is a fact of everyday observance that the grossest natures are purified and elevated by suffering. The relations between the soul and body in this life are so intimate that whatever chastens the one serves to purify the other. And as the body is the instrument of the passions of the soul, so the body is justly the instrument of the soul's penance and purification. All that is elevated in human life, and all that is spiritual in human nature, comes from the victory over the lower passions of man, and all that is Christ-like in the Christian soul comes from the crucifixion of flesh and blood. Here, it's only by acts of self-denial that we can purify the grossness of our nature, and it is only by works of penance that we can expiate our sins. Sensuality is the unclean spirit that can be only cast out by fasting and prayer. Purification and expiation cannot be purchased at any less cost than this. But there is another aspect of the subject which we must lay to heart. Lent is a time for interior repentance even more than external works of penance. Rend your hearts and not your garments is the motto that is set before us in all our penitential exercises. External practices count for little without the renewal of the soul. What merit can a man have for his fasts or his abstinences when his heart is a hotbed of sin, and he crucifies Christ by his corrupt deeds while he pretends to imitate him by keeping the Lent? Sin must be repented of and abandoned. There must be sorrow of the soul. Otherwise, the mortification of the body will not profit us much. Do not therefore deceive yourselves. Let no man imagine for a moment that he can get any real good out of the Lenten season as long as he remains the willing slave of sin. It were little short of sacrilege for the wretched drunkard, the wanton blasphemer, the unjust hypocrite, the foul votary of lust, to pretend to live in the spirit of the Lenten time, if they do not at once call a halt and curb their base passions. Let every Christian soul recognize the solemn duty of the hour. This season of Lent demands some sacrifice from all. Something special must now be done for Christ's sake. If you cannot fast, give alms, hear Mass every morning, visit the church every evening, 
give up drink and other unnecessary indulgences of the appetite. The cross has to be taken up in some shape or other if we mean to follow Christ. The heights of Calvary are before us, and to reach heaven, climb them we must. Without a part in their gloom, there can be no share in their glory. And there, between those two, is the spirit of Lent. We must give up the unnecessary things. We Usually this is tied to the things that we consume physically. Food, drink, that sort of thing. So that is where a fast should be. Also, pick up some good things to fill some of your time. Read the Bible. Scripture is an important thing. Read the life of Christ. There are numerous of these spiritual readings that you should read. I always tell people, go to preconciliar things. You will not find any error there. So go find Thomas Akempis and figures like him. Spend your t some of your time with that that you might not have otherwise spent on it. And fast. If you need some guidance on how to do it safely, if you have no history of fasting, when I'm not watching Catholic material, I often end up watching nutrition and fasting videos about nutrition and nutritional fasting. And a lot of those videos are often about how to safely begin a fasting regimen, which will absolutely apply here, even if you have no, you know, physiological goals with this. In fact, for Lent, you shouldn't. <laughs> that could just be a happy consequence of picking up these traditional Catholic habits or habits that will get us closer to having a traditional Lent if we haven't tried before. So, my email address is on your screen. Send me an email. I can help you with some information if you need on that sort of thing. I hope you found this helpful. I will have a Sunday sources uh, post on my sources blog at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast with the .org at the end. Look for the post with the video title, and you will see the sources there, so you can read these yourself. I hope you have a good Lent. And please, as always, pray for the church, especially in these times as things get more and more confusing. God bless.